With the pandemic that came upon us, the rise of video conferencing tools like Microsoft Teams and Zoom has led to more aspects of the sales conversation to occur virtually. And what began as a crisis reaction has evolved into the new normal. But how normal is the new normal? We're talking about how the strong shift from in-person to virtual selling has transformed B2B sales experience. Virtual sales enablement, new organizations, KPIs, everything is evolving. In the Virtual Selling Podcast, we address these issues in depth twice a week with the experts and leaders of these transformations, heads of sales, sales ops, and sales enablement of the most innovative companies in the field. This podcast is sponsored by SalesDeck.io, the new SaaS platform to make your customer meetings more engaging and better prepared. Find out how you can shorten sales cycles, convert more leads, and increase customer engagement. Virtual Selling is here to stay, and so is SalesDeck.io. Hi, everybody. I'm really happy to be with Matt Cohen, Senior Manager Revenue Enablement at Clary. Could you please tell us what Clary do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to. Um, so at Clary, our mission is to help our customers realize their fullest potential. And we do that by transforming the revenue operations to be more connected, efficient, and predictable. So we do this with our RevOps platform. We automatically gather data from across your entire organization, everything from emails, meetings, app on marketing, leading indicators, right? Then we apply AI to synthesize that data into real-time status and actionable insights for sales leaders, enablement leaders, operational leaders. And we've seen that lead to alignment and execution that generates better outcomes. That's great. And you have written a great article in uh, GTM Mag about the enablement horizon, uh, Matt. First, could you share with us a clear definition of enablement? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of people, I think, start off on the wrong foot, assuming that enablement is is training. And that that is understandable, given the foundations of where enablement started. It really came, it was born out of sales training. Um, but enablement is now, you know, across the entire revenue org, the entire buyer journey, which we'll get into in a little bit. So I define it as the proactive identification of gaps in that buyer journey and aligning uh, people, process, and technology um, to ultimately accomplish priorities that you are uh, setting with the rest of the organization and with leadership. Great. And could you come back on, on these terms uh, about uh... Uh, this, this buyer experience, uh, to the priorities, the people, process, and technology? Yeah. So so first off, um, I think this is where it really is important to consider where enablement is in the organization, where it sits. And this is another thing that a lot of organizations, I think, get wrong for understandable reasons. Uh, given that description that I just gave, when I say that, a lot of people go, wow, that, that sounds almost like the CRO. Well, that that's intentional. Really, um, you can think of enablement as an extension of the CRO. It's a very similar mindset. No other function in revenue and go-to-market, whatever the organization calls it, is as centralized and connected throughout that entire that entire department. So when I say proactive, I mean there's a balance between that traditional enablement scope of just you know taking requests from the field and being reactive, and also using that holistic view from across revenue to shape those priorities I alluded to earlier and say, hey, we see this gap, let's say from handoff, from pre-sales to post-sales. Uh, what do we do to what do we do to address that? Here's our recommendation. And then you surface that with leadership and scope it with other priorities. That's what I mean by proactive. Um, as far as the buyer experience goes, I touched on this a little bit. Sales enablement has grown out of necessity 
uh, given the complexity of B2B sales from start to finish, right? It's, it's no longer just getting to close. You want to create advocates, um, ultimately, right? So that, that requires collaboration from across your entire revenue org. And it requires the enablement team to be aligned to how the buyer thinks. The buyer doesn't think one day they're talking to sales, one day they're talking to customer success, right? And they are just talking to organization. And so that's the way an enablement should be aligned. And that's where buyer experience comes from. Um, optimization of people process technology. So I think this is where a lot of times people focus too tactically and start to talk about training. Uh, training is just a, a mechanism really by, by which we optimize people process, uh, technology, it could be argued as another mechanism by which we do this really in, in, so there's other definitions floating around out there. Eli Cohen has one that I really like. He just focuses on the alignment of people process and priorities. Those are his, the three P's. Um, and so that's really what we're focused on tools, training, all that other stuff, where a lot of organizations like that's where name should be focused. Those are just, those are just vehicles. Um, and so those are examples if to give an example of uh, a process, for instance, right. Enablement team may, and I'll get into this in a little bit, map out the sales process in alignment to your buyer journey. That may be something that they do. Uh, they may work in collaboration with marketing on a content on it process, something a little more tactical, right? So there's different, um, examples there. Technology can include LMS, it can include content management, it can include conversational intelligence, right? All that kind of core it, sales it tech. Could, it could include Clary too, I believe. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Tools like Clary. So what's the difference you make between enablement and ops? Because the two seems to be included one in each other, no? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, enablement is often, and, and this is uh, a bit reductive. I will say there are exceptions to this, but the, the easiest way I've heard it put is that Ops, they have a charter toward efficiency and enablement has a charter toward effectiveness. Is there overlap? Of course. Uh, you know, there's, there's strategic and tactical elements to all jobs. There's, uh, when you think about technology, for instance, I just touched on some of those examples, you collaborate with ops on that, right? And there's some efficiency elements, but ultimately enablement wants to drive, uh, effectiveness. They want to get their teams to, uh, as one former coworker of mine put it, peak performance. Right. And so ops is more of that kind of, uh, relentless, uh, incremental improvement, right. Constantly tweaking the tech stack and processes in collaboration with a number of teams to make their teams more efficient and faster. Right. So for you, you still see those two teams working together, but not being the same. Yes. Often, um, that is one of the better alignments of enablement in the org that I've seen is under ops. I still think it should report directly to the CRO for a number of reasons. Um, but yes, ops and enablement should be tightly aligned. Yeah. Okay. And what would be the first things to do to set up an enablement strategy? Yeah. So, um, I alluded to this earlier. I think the first thing is mapping out your buyer journey. And this is where, um, you know, even the most progressive of enablement functions, they may start with the sales process. The reason I go a step further and focus on the buyer journey is because you're aligning yourself to that buyer experience, right? Um, and so you want to start with them, the customer in mind. So when you map out what they're doing from the time they start to consider, uh, a solution within your category, they're just researching the market all the way to uh, close and beyond them, as I mentioned earlier, becoming customer advocates, becoming champions. What are all the things they have to do 
um, talk to your, your most experienced revenue leaders, talk to your top performers, get different perspectives, talk to customers, validate it with customers, right? Um, once you have that mapped out, that's the hardest first step, but it's the most important. Once you have that mapped out, you can then focus on your internal activities and align those to that buyer journey. Okay, this is what we typically do to close a deal. Well, are we out of alignment with what the customer's doing in stage two, three, right? Maybe we have to realign to be a little more effective. Um, and then once you have that mapped out, you have a really good picture of what it takes for a rep to take a deal from lead to close to renewal. If you're talking pre-sale, post-sale, depending on if you have a hunter farmer model and all that good stuff. Um, and you can group that thematically and you start to have skills core skill areas that you need to develop in the organization. And so once you have that, uh, it becomes a lot easier to build an onboarding program because you can say, okay, these are our skills. These are our levels of fluency for each of these skills. This is the content we need. Um, it's easier to build continuous development, right? You build your onboarding. You're like, okay, well, what do our existing reps, where are their biggest gaps in these skill areas? Uh, when you're selecting a sales methodology, Again, how can we support the biggest gaps in those skill areas, uh, all in service of being aligned to the buyer? Yeah, uh, so that, that's the order. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Since I have published a 300 page book in France, acquisition strategy design for those that are watching the videos, I can see it behind me. Uh, it's a collective intelligence methodology to formalize the buyer journey through an acquisition canvas. We have designs that help participants to our workshops ask themselves the right question to understand what they their buyer purchase and then formalize their buyer journey. Uh, this formalization ways uh, this formalization being the foundation to designing the acquisition plan that will make the buyer progress at every stage of the journey. So we are very aligned in the way we do. Uh, and we have created the tool for, for and it's still in French. We, we have started to translate it, but uh, it's with my marketing agency, but it's really aligned. Um, and if we follow on, how do you create a sales process starting with the buyer journey? How do you put the buyer in the center of the sales process? So um, I would say you put the buyer at the center of it. Um, you know, when, when I touched on validating with customers earlier, validating that buyer journey, I think that's, I kind of breezed by, but that's a really important step. Uh, the, it kind of defeats the whole point of the exercise. If you create what you think is the buyer journey in a silo with your internal lens, right? Even if it's someone who, let's say you're working with a leader who's worked with a bunch of customers at your company, you still have to talk to the customers directly and validate it. Uh, that's something that we did at Clary and it served us really well, right? We are obsessed with our customers. It's one of our six values being one with customers. Um, so I think consulting with them is just as important as talking to your most experienced leaders and top performers. Um, and then and you make it in yeah. a kind of research and analysis way, or do you make it at every sales meeting saying, okay, we understood your, your journey. We believe that you went through this step. Do you agree? And this is the next step we want you to, to follow that that's so I think, so what you're starting to get into and it, and I'll kind of, uh, differentiate the two is, uh, mutual action plans. We, so when we are going through this exercise of mapping out the buyer journey, you have kind of like focus groups, you have, you have really focused meetings to validate that journey with customers. You don't really conflate it with a sales conversation or a deal. 
Um, usually they're people who recently signed. That's a good idea because they just went through that experience and they are already going, starting to work toward renewal. That's a good idea. Um, another option would be someone who has, is that advocate has gone through the entire journey with you, right? As far as speaking to the journey in the course of a deal, you need to make sure, uh, and this is really the continuation. You're asking me the whole order of operations here. You need to make sure that all of this is operationalized. So, so it needs to be operationalized in terms of a sales content strategy. You need to have, you need to work with marketing closely on aligning your top assets for each of your core asset types, right? Presentations, one pages, product briefs, et cetera. However you classify those. What do you send in stage one? What do you send in stage two? Make sure that your sellers, it's always, it's not always going to be super linear. We know that, right? But it gives the sellers guidance to do it the right way. Um, and then as far as aligning with the buyer, uh, we have a solution for this it's called Clary Align and we, we, uh, use it internally. Um, and so, you know, others may call it mutual action plans if they have another solution for it, but it's integral in giving the buyer an idea of what that process is going to look like working with you and then constantly checking in throughout that process, right? Not talking again, not talking about stage one, stage two, stage three, you know, Hey, now we're in discovery or evaluation, right? That's not how they're thinking. Put it in their language, make sure they understand where you're at in that process. And that's going to serve them a lot better in the long run because ultimately, uh, B2B sales has become buyer enablement in a lot of ways. I've seen this floating around and I love this idea. Yeah. I, I recorded a podcast, uh, the, two, two, two days ago, uh, on the topic of buyer enablement and, uh, co-documenting, uh, to help, uh, buyer enablement. Yeah. So it's yeah, really it, a great topic. Yeah, you you have to create a champion and enable them for an internal sale. If you don't help them make that internal sale, you're not going to make your sale, right? That's just as important as you convincing them. Um, and so anyway, mutual action plan is a big part of that. Yeah, great. Uh, in your article, uh, you make a difference between sales process and sales methodology. Could you clarify it for us? Yeah, uh, this is another one I think often gets confused. Um, sales process are the actions you take in each stage. They are, they are tactically how you execute a deal. Uh, sales methodology is more of your, your sales culture. It's more of what you value, um, the, the kind of the, the less tangible aspect of it. Right. And so when you're selecting a sales methodology, for instance, I think this helps illustrate the point, you know, you have your biggest skill gaps kind of identified and all that good stuff. You know, do you have a, a, a rather inexperienced sales force that really needs help kind of defining what are the objective criteria to close a deal? Well, MedPick's a great fit for that. MedPick's a great fit in general, I think. But, you know, that's a good, that's a good use case for that methodology. If you have a kind of trouble, your, your sales culture lacks that ability to push back in a respectful, kind of uh, intellectual, um, informed way, Challenger could be a good fit. Um, if you are getting caught up in feature function conversations, you feel like you're getting commoditized with other people in your space, right? Value selling could be a good fit. The list goes on and on. So that's examples of how you can think about the, the, the two different, uh, process and methodology. And so in your process, you implement a methodology. Is that mm -hmm. true? Is that the right way to express it? Yeah. So, so the, the is methodology it. is part of the process. Yeah. And you know, for instance, let's say MedPEC, right? Um, you, you may align finding different parts of MedPIC 
uh, in different stages. You may not all, you may not get all of that. Often you don't right off the bat in that first meeting, right? Um, in fact, you don't want to, you don't want to just sit there and fill out medpick, right? So you would have that at different points in the sales process. Um, and the same is true for other methodologies as well. So, yeah. Great. Do you see something else to add to, to our conversation because we are getting to the end of the interview? I would say, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation about what enablement is and what enablement isn't. And I would, I would just say if, if any, you know, revenue leaders are seeing this or you're thinking about hiring for enablement, it is so important to position enablement the right way, not just for the people who do enablement. I mean, sure, this is, of course, there's a bit of like a self-serving nature to this. I'm in enablement and I want the function to, uh, it continue to grow, but, um, it, it's better for the organization. Uh, you know, it's, I, I had a former colleague who kind of put it this way, right? If you position enablement the wrong way, uh, it's, it's kind of like, you know, converting, it's like driving a civic instead of a Maserati. You know, if, if you, if, and I have a civic by the way, so not to offend anyone, but, you know, it's like, it's, it's just like, you're, you're not implementing it the right way and it's not going to ultimately serve your organization as well as it could. And, and for you, what is the right way? What is your org chart that would be the ideal org chart? Um, so I reporting directly in the CRO, I, okay. I that, part, that aspect earlier, um, I think, uh, you know, tying it to some sort of support ratio. Uh, there seems to be a consensus growing right now, and it depends on a lot of things. It depends on the complexity of your product. It depends on the size of your organization. So, but I'm hearing more and more about this kind of 40 to 50 to one ratio in between there. Um, so make sure, you know, the audience that you support has a proportional number of enabling people aligned to their audience and make sure that your, your org chart in the enablement, um, team, as you build it out is built thoughtfully. And what I mean by that is you can do one of two things. You can build it, you know, domain expertise where you can have like people focused on tech stack, on product enablement, on uh, manager enablement, et cetera, et cetera. Or it could be more audience driven where you have someone focused on pre-sales, someone focused maybe even more specifically on AEs and then someone focused on SEs, someone focused on post-sales, you get the idea. Um, but just make sure that you have it set, set up that way. Otherwise, you know, if you have kind of people just doing enablement as a part-time thing, as part of their job, decentralized enablement, you'll hear it called, uh, it leads to a lot of confusion and double work and rework because you're not treating it as the function it is and should be. So if the revenue enablement is directly under the CRO, you also have the, it's at the same level that's head of sales and all the type of function. And where would be the sales ops? That would be a peer as well, but let me caveat with that. Um, I have been in organizations where enablement reports directly into the head of sales. I've been in organizations where enablement reports into ops. Those can work. Those can work, especially if they're not at the point enablement's not built out enough to warrant reporting directly to CR, the CRO. That's a goal, um, right? So. Um, there are different options. There's just trade-offs, right? Org charts matter. I think a lot of people try to say, ah, you know, especially in startups, like we can all just work together. Reporting lines don't matter that much. They really do because they, they impact your priorities. Um, so depending on where you're at, you know, uh, reporting directly to sales, you may be overly focused on just, you know, coaching and deal execution, which is really one aspect. If you're in marketing, you may be focused too much on content. If you're on ops, you may be focused too much on tools, right? 
Um, so that independence is where I've seen it work the best. Great. Thanks a lot, Matt. This episode of the Virtual Selling Podcast is over. Thanks for sticking around. Join us twice a week for a new episode with new stories and challenge of giants in the field. If you enjoyed today's episode, we are always listening for your feedback. Share the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episode. This episode was brought to you by SalesDate.io, the virtual selling platform that increases your sales team efficiency and sales readiness, enables remote management, and vamps sales operational excellence. Book your SalesDate.io demo today, and thanks a lot. Goodbye, Matt. It was a pleasure. Thank you.